Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for downloading. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm here with Dane Christensen. Hello, folks. And Megan Strand. Hey. And we are the Naked Marketers. Once again, Naked Marketers talking to you on the internets. How are you? I hope you're well. Uh, thank you for joining us. That was, that was a Mr. Rogers right I know, there. wasn't it? A little <laughs> awesome. bit. I've been thinking about that because somebody, How I, read are you some, today? I read some post where I, somebody on Fox News uh, if, said that Mr. Rogers was the devil or something, was evil because he was indoctrinating children to his soft way of life or something <laughs> that, that everybody can be successful. And you know what? Not everybody can be successful. It turns out some of you will fail. And Mr. Rogers, that should have been his message. That's, I, I mean, really. Well, that's a happy way to start the show. The guy, oh, he spent his life trying to build up kids, and he's now dead. And you're going to start because doing this? Because he's old. No, well, he's really old because he's dead. Yeah, he he's old enough to have died. I miss, I miss Mr. This Rogers. Well, I just, I love that. I hope that's a new tradition. Do you know what? So totally sidetracked. I, I started. I think, no, I, I I'm think not going to start. No, I think no, every I, show should definitely start with, and how are you today speaking to the audience? And, and I think we should build them up a little I'm bit. breaking the fourth wall. That's what I'm doing. Exactly. This is what I want to talk about. First of all, if you want to find out uh, about the show, uh, you should go to thenakedmarketers.com, and you should also subscribe to the show in iTunes, which is a, a fantastic product. And end that and, with, and I believe you can do it. And I believe you're, you're good enough and you're <laughs> smart enough. Uh, I we have it. I have corrections from from or corrections and updates from last week's show, and I have. I big, love that we have corrections. I know. See, that's growing up. Uh, Mac Apps Addict uh, wrote on our uh, uh, on our on the blog. Uh, he had a comment about Alltop because we, if you remember, Alltop is a new favorite site of mine, and uh, it's a fantastic way to curate top stories uh, of the week from in in various category go to alltop.com you can learn all about that or listen to last week's show anyway my big question was can you uh, there there's no place obvious in alltop where you can burn out an rss feed to add of your favorites to add to google reader and it turns out thanks to mac apps addict you can he says thanks for the reintroduction to alltop you can create an rss feed by adding slash rss to the UR of any alltop page so that is so awesome slash username slash rss drops you into an rss feed that you can then use in google reader or net newswire or you know any anywhere the, your favorite feed reader of choice and the same thing works for categories he says marketing.alltop.com slash rss gives you a uh, an rss feed for the That's marketing awesome. category it is just thank you for awesome. sharing That's so awesome that makes it even better you know, we had another correction, uh, or not a correction, another recommendation to check out. We had recommended Ecamm Call Recorder for Skype, which is the uh, recording tool that we use for uh, this show. Uh, Muika, M-U-I-K-A, Muika, uh, recommends IM Capture for Skype. And I think I, I, I haven't tried it, but I want to throw it out there because I think it's a it's a uh, cross-platform tool. Uh, you can use IM Capture on Windows too. I, I think Ecamm Call Recorder is Mac only. Yeah. And so uh, I wanted to make sure to get that out there in case anybody, uh, any of our Windows using friends, would also like to record their Skype calls. Handy awesome. recommendation. Thank you, Mika. Uh, and that's th that's it. So hopefully next week our corrections and thanks will be even longer than this week. Well, maybe not too much longer. But a little bit longer. <laughs> On to the news. What has happened last week? Shall we? Shall we begin? It's a big week. I know. Start. Start us with something. 
uh, well, you know, I'm going to let you go on your little diatribe about Facebook, but um, Zuckerberg has come out, the CEO of Facebook, Mr. 26-year-old, has come out and <laughs> in response to consumer feedback has, you know, sort of made some statements about how they get it and you know and i think the sentiment around this entire little non-apology as newsweek calls it is uh it's a little bit too little too late and they just sort of proved they didn't understand what people were actually saying so um i'm gonna let you talk about it a little bit more peter because i know that you took it even more personally than some of us and suspended your own <laughs> facebook account so. well that was uh, okay i i i disabled my facebook account for all of three days and it was more of an experiment to just see what would happen. It's kind of like a seven-year-old saying they're going to run away from home. Yeah, it, no, it's exactly and it goes like in the that. Backyard. It's exactly you get get into the, the inflatable <laughs> balloon, and then you actually just go up to the <laughs> attic. It's it's a um, it, you know I disabled it because you know knowing full well that I'm going to be back on Facebook, and I, I have a lot of great connections on Facebook, and there's there's no doubt that Facebook is is a valuable platform in the marketplace. It's annoying as hell. The problem I have with this, with the statement, is that, uh, you know, he comes out, he gets on the, he goes and he says, the number one thing we heard is that our privacy controls are too hard. They're too complicated. We, we, we were trying to make things, you know, to give you this fine granularity of control. And, and what we've heard you say is that now the controls are too hard. And I find that disingenuous and untrue. It's not that the controls are too hard. That is a byproduct of a philosophical stance that they betrayed. That's what is at issue here. And we don't trust you. Is that right? Facebook made the privacy controls too hard as a byproduct of the fact that they sold out our private information. And it's and so I you know I live my life pretty much out loud. I mean everything is it's public. You want to find me? You can find me. I'm on all sorts of different platforms from Google Buzz to Twitter to Facebook to my own website. And and the lesson here is for me that the platform sold me out. And that's not a relationship that I can trust anymore. You know, what I wonder, too, about this also, Peter, is that do you think that, and, and I'm not going to talk about the mot- their motivations behind why they did any of this, so let's just leave that to the side for right now. But do you think the fact that they waited so long to have any sort of response that anybody could even, uh, you know, resonate with at all, do you think that has to do with the trust thing? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you think if they changed their privacy settings and people were like, wow, we hate this, this sucks, and we think you're being slimy, and they came right out and said, you know what? Really? You know, we're sorry. Yeah, like if they came um, out and said, really? You messed you're, up? Seriously? Okay. Do you, no, I'm asking a question. Do you think that? <laughs> I know. I'm, I was saying that in quotes, as if I was Facebook, the personification of Facebook. Okay. You did it really? well too. Yeah, I mean. Really? Do you think we were too? We did it <laughs> really? well, Yeah. No. I. You know. I think there's. A, I. First of all, I totally understand their strategy. And, and uh, Zuckerberg wrote Scoble and sent him this email saying, you know, we're going to come out this week. This was last weekend, I guess. And he said, we're going to come out this week with a statement, and we're going to. We wanted to wait until we actually had something to say. Uh, about oh. some changes that we we're making, right? That's why we didn't come out initially. Okay, and BP. It, well, you know, really, <laughs> I, I mean, that's it. And it, it kind of gets to what we're going to be talking about on our interview today, which is this idea of, you know, you, you can't really you can't really assume that you have that kind of leeway from a, from a PR oh. perspective anymore. I mean, that's the enough. expectation is, and in large part conjured by Facebook and the immediacy of, 
real-time news and updates, you can't, if you are Facebook, assume that you have a week and a half, two weeks, three weeks, a month to get things right before you start talking about and, it. And why and, why and would Pete, they come? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Dean. No, I was just going to say, isn't that the deep irony here? Because, uh, you, you know, when we talk about social media, we tend to talk about, in every instance, that it's just a, a new tool um, uh I don't know. I mean, in some cases, you know, we're really sort of employing the same, you know, traditional, um, I don't know, uh, what am I saying? The, the same traditional strategies, which are connect with your customer, communicate with your customer, develop um, your brand, develop trust. Um, and some of the rules keep changing, which, as you just said, Pete, uh, immediacy, uh, uh like it's never been before. And, and so Facebook, yes, I mean, Facebook as a tool has um, helped to create this, this environment that we live in and the expectations that we have. Uh, and when we talk about companies um, relying too much on a specific tool or, 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 or the way they use a specific tool, that it's, you know, well, we've got, you know, uh, Facebook, we've got Twitter, you know, Delta Airlines with, with Twitter. Um, they don't seem to be using it correctly, but but she, she's, you know, they're using it. You have to put all of this into the context of how are you engaging with your customers? How are you building trust? How are you developing, you know, friends, I guess. Um, and, and so there seems to be this like, well, we are Facebook. I, in, in my opinion, you could kind of read into this that there's an over-reliance on a piece of technology or a tool and not the strategies to use it and what it is you're trying to develop and the relationships and, and really in this case on a corporate level, trust uh, and, and trust with users and with advertisers, although they seem to be definitely concerned about trust with their advertising uh, advertisers. Um, but uh, with the users, uh, yeah, I, I think there are a lot of weird sort of missteps and miscalculations here uh, in um, in sort of stepping back and, and I don't know, uh, maybe even using some traditional PR, I guess, or, or how about, how about, I mean, you know, they're apparently going to make a billion dollars this year in revenues. There might be some money there for some advertising, right? I mean, when Toyota thought they were losing the trust of customers, that was a massive campaign that they've been rolling out on a lot of different levels. Facebook is sort of waiting a week to make a statement that not everyone's going to see. And they've got 500 million users now. Yeah. It's kind of, there's, there's a strange disconnect and it's, and there's a, Definitely an, an, an ironic twist to it, in well, my opinion. It is. It's that same. It's that same bit of just kind of weird irony that that you know Facebook people. I mean, one of the one of the um, uh, videos I think was with uh, what's his name, Brett. Oh God, this is going to frustrate me. Um, he's the guy. who's the former uh, founding developer, I guess, CEO of yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was just looking at that uh, of FriendFeed when FriendFeed bought when Facebook bought FriendFeed. Brett Taylor, and it, you know. Before FriendFeed bought Taylor, he was out in public, right? I mean, he was a very, pro, you know, prolific creator of content about his company on FriendFeed, and and now, you know, he's under kind of the the Facebook PR blackout, and you you can't talk without permission anymore at Facebook. And I find that just really dark irony that it's mm -hmm. a company that exists to help you live your life out loud and get get all this information on you, and yet, you know, I wonder just how many employees at Facebook are allowed to you know, be that public. And I, you know, I'm totally speculating here, uh, but based on my experience in PR, I would imagine not many. And, you know, I have a, a, a couple of friends who actually work in Facebook and their responses to me after a number of requests to be on this show is I can't do, uh, I can't do these kinds of things. I'm, I'm, our policy is I am not allowed to talk about the company. Uh, I am not an authorized representative. 
Well, it sort of flies in the face of some of this new uh, of of the rhetoric that Zuckerberg himself is putting out there. Get over it. Yeah. It's all about you. Know, there's no privacy. Is right. sort of this right. stance. Well, you know, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch them because, as both of you point out, unless there's a serious shift at Facebook, I mean, what's going to happen to them? And it, it's it's sort of um, tragic in that they have, you know, one of our news items today was about their payment platform, um, which is anticipated to be their next major revenue stream. I mean, they have, they're well positioned to do really, really great things. But unless Zuckerberg stops being such a, I don't want to use the word I want to use you know, uh, on air, but, you know, you know, he needs to, you know, he needs to grow up a little bit and um, look at, you know, his company a little bit more seriously as far as this whole customer relations piece. I mean, he's getting skewered left and right. Well, that's the thing, you know, it's very possible that things are going to be fine and that there are millions of people who could care less about that's any of this stuff. Uh, in fact, I want to read in just a second what Daniel Lyons had to say at, at the end of his story in Newsweek. But, um, uh, but at the same time, yeah, it, the, the, the environment has definitely changed in the last couple of weeks in terms of the top tier publications that are, are really, uh, you know, going from a month ago, glowing reviews, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread, to, wow, this guy has some real issues. And, and uh, Congress. And Congress, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, there, there are some possible very serious threats, and I'm seeing articles in multiple places. I think we mentioned last week the Huffington Post had, you know, uh, a little, like, here's what you could do, you know, if you don't like Facebook. Well, Newsweek's now done that, and, and you're going to start to say, I think New York Times, I saw that um, not, not that long ago. And, and basically giving a lot of fuel for some of these uh, potential Facebook competitors. So maybe things are fine. Maybe they're just huge and everything's great. And, and, and all these people feel pretty committed to it. Um, but, uh, but then again, maybe not. <laughs> maybe things really are very serious. Well, and even those who, you know, people who are not, uh, you know, apathetic to Facebook or want to quit Facebook, et cetera, as soon as they start seeing these other trusted sources saying, hey, you know, you, did you know you can quit Facebook? At least plants the seed. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, CNN is now reporting that the quit Facebook thing is is bubbling. You know, I mean, these are this this is enough to get people thinking about things that they hadn't. But I think there's even a, a more sort of insidious problem that they face. And that is uh, it, the way they handled this. You know, I I brought my account back because, you know, I have clients, I manage pages there. I, I can't quit Facebook right now. But. I am, I consider myself a member of a class of technologists that is aware of such things. And the fact is, I am now apathetic to Facebook. Mm -hmm. And before, I was not. I was an active proponent of Facebook. And now, I don't really care so much about Facebook beyond what I do in my, in my, for my uh, client work. So yeah. my first point of focus is no longer Facebook, and I am actively... Insofar as I'm apathetic about Facebook, I'm actively looking for an alternative place. I'm trying to, I'm spending more time on Google Buzz, for example. I'm spending more time on Twitter. I'm spending a lot more time on my own website and, and looking for ways to syndicate my website out to the various social sites. But I'm not, Facebook is no longer the first place I go. And the, I think the, apathy is, is the most insidious thing that Facebook could have. Uh, it, having 500 million users is great if you're watching your, is not so great if you're watching your percentage of those that are active users active, dropped yeah. to, to, you know. That's a really good point. 
Dane, uh, why don't you uh, take us out of this little segment by reading the last line that you wanted to read from the... Let, let me please. Yeah, it's it's uh, so Daniel Lyons in uh, uh, Newsweek, who's the article title um, from just a couple of days ago is Who Needs Friends Like Facebook? Not Me. Why Mark Zuckerberg and His Social Network Should Stop Invading Our Privacy. So it's it's a, a real damning article. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's got, um, I, I don't know, it, it's a tough one. But here's the closing paragraph. To be sure, none of this will hurt Facebook. The company is expected to rake in $1 billion in revenue this year. The site has 500 million members, up from 400 million only four months ago. Uh, most members are likely not aware of the recent privacy fiasco, and even if they were aware of it, they didn't care or wouldn't care. People love Facebook. Many spend hours each day on it. This scandal will be nothing more than a blip on Facebook's inexorable march toward a multi-billion dollar payday. And it's all thanks to a sweet idealistic kid who just wanted to make the world a better place and who communicates with the outside world via canned statements in his friend's newspaper. Gosh, it gives you shivers, doesn't it? <laughs> That's anyway. awesome. Well, and I, you know, it is awesome. And I think the paragraph before that first line is, is what we've been saying. That last bit, I don't trust them at all, is the key part, you know? Uh, that's Boy, that sort of sums up where that company is right now. Um, so anyway, on to new and better things. Well, um, right. <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a nice little segue um, as far as consumer behavior. Uh, the story about BP, Peter, that you were going to talk about. You know, this is a, just a short one. I think it's it's just worth putting in the back of your mind that BP is you know largely well, responsible, depending on who you're talking to, for what is becoming the largest environmental um, environmental incident in, in modern world history. Um, and uh, this is a company that, you know, has, again, arguably not handled it well, uh, not handled the, the response well, that the relationships, corporate relationships, the tools they're using, the things that they are employing are, are e you know, equally damaging to the environment and destroying the economy of the Gulf Coast, uh, potential the seafaring economy of the Gulf Coast. And yet, uh, what is the market response to, you know, BP and their... We cover our uh, eyes. Yeah, we, we sort of cover our eyes. So and I, you still know, drive the same gas to We station. do. I mean, I, it's it seems, and I think there's a context issue too. When you're driving your car, when you're watching the evening news, and you're looking at the at all of the the dead animals and the fishermen out of work and the you know and the two thousand square mile uh, oil slick that is taking over the Gulf, um, you know, it, it's easy to to let your heart bleed for it. When you're driving your car on the way to the grocery store and you need gas. And all you see is a big yellow sign. Are you are you making the connection that that BP is is this company and that the impact of what they have done to the environment uh, in their in their inability to to clean up the mess they made uh, is is a, that you're actually supporting that? Now I'm not saying boycotts are always the way to go, and I think you know there are good people trying to figure out the right thing to do here. I think it's interesting that in this case, as mad as people are about Facebook, as the media is all up in line about Facebook, that there isn't more of a discussion about you know a, a potential BP boycott. Yeah. So well, maybe that's a total non-issue to people. It sounds like that's kind of a snoozer. So I'm going to go ahead and move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's just such a deep issue that um, yeah. you know you could spend a whole show talking about consumer behavior and um, 
uh, covering your eye syndrome. So anyway, so this was a good. Uh, it's an AP article. I found it in the Chicago Sun Times, uh, just about how the Gulf oil spill has yet to affect consumers' gas choices. So we'll post that in the notes. Yeah. Uh, Nike World Cup ad. You know, we should talk. We should just. We need. So, to, we're going to post oh. a link to this in, on the. We're going to post it on the website. It is a really beautiful ad. It's another in just a string of hits from Wyden and Kennedy. Uh, a three-minute ad that even if you are not a soccer fan, it will have you uh, out of your seat. It's a beautiful piece of film. Well, and I think the story, too, is that this is they've gotten 9.6 million as of, what, Dane, an hour ago? 9.6 million views on, on this YouTube video. Um, and I believe that's a record for Nike. And they've come out and said, this is the best video we've ever done. Well, yeah. that Biden and Kennedy has ever done. But yeah. um so that's that's the other story behind it. Not only is it a cool video, but it's also setting some pretty big records as far as uh, viewership. Definitely worth checking out. So go to the website and look at that. We will post it. And uh, let's see. Anything else do we have to cover in the news? Are we out of stories? Did we do Did that you want to talk about well, that road trip thing or not? Oh, yeah. You know, we should talk about the road trip. This is an interesting campaign. It's a follow-up to the – it's Microsoft's Kin campaign. If you haven't seen the Microsoft Kin it is a uh, it's a new Microsoft Windows phone. Uh, I don't it just know makes what, me what laugh when you say it. that. It just makes me laugh. Well, it's sort of it's almost sounds like a joke. Um, it does. You know, Microsoft has kind of become an also ran in the in the phone market. Uh, you know, uh, nobody's really they they aren't they haven't been able to generate any real significant buzz in uh, in mobile yet in the wake, the massive wake of Google and Android and uh, the iPhone, which is, you know, which is also going to be trying to make a big splash this summer. Uh, but they do have this campaign, which I think brings up some interesting implications, right? It's this, it's this road trip campaign. The, the original road trip was they sent this girl, Rosa, they gave her a kin. How old said, was she? She's like know. 16 or something, right? I mean, she's pretty young. Uh, is she that young? I don't she think looked that. young in the video. She looks young, but yeah, I think she's she's got to be older than that. All right. In her 20s or something. Whatever. Anyway, so, uh, you know, she they do these ads where she's she takes her kin and she goes around the country to meet all of her Facebook friends or her, her social network friends and do these little interviews about them. And they're creating this sort of dramatic theme of, you know, who your friends are. And that's that's their their thing. Are your Facebook friends really your friends? Uh, and and it's an interesting campaign. Have you guys seen the videos? No, I was just reading about it. You know, it's I'm not. And now it's a contest. You can enter a win exactly. to win a kin journey, a kin journey, and you can travel around and meet all your Facebook friends. And I think you know it presumes kind of an. I want to meet my Twitter friends. I don't have that many Facebook friends. I don't know. Yeah, well, that that sort of says it, right? I mean, that that friends doesn't mean quite what it used to stop laughing dane well but maybe you have friends you don't care about but they live in really cool places <gasps> but i know who they are the that? point is i've met them before well okay oh i see what you're saying you're trying to you're trying to work the system a little bit listen to you listen yeah. to dane yeah i know your friends and now i'm just using them <laughs> yeah i'm gonna uh, friend some people in uh hawaii 
see. Well, they should, and they should. That's right. I only have friends in Hawaii. Now, I I think it's an interesting campaign. I think you guys should uh, check out the video because it would make it a more interesting conversation. But, but not by the device. Is that what you're saying? Is that your no, view? there are all sorts of better phones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a world full of better phones well, out there. But, than you know, Microsoft your point can. was, Peter, that you know your Facebook friends aren't really your friends. I mean, wasn't that your point? Well, okay. So I guess I have a new definition of friend, right? And I'm uh, this is my new proposed definition i'm going to submit this to the standards body uh, that is that uh, these are people that create content online that i am interested in consuming uh and i and so i call them my friend and i hope that they reciprocate but they don't need to and i think the old version of of the word friend meant uh you know i'm i know you and you would know me in a lineup, you know, or more than that. You would know me uh, because we went to school together or, you know, we broke bread together someplace or, you know, we're blood brothers or spit brothers or whatever. You know, you ever spit in your hand like baseball players do, whatever that is. Or I go to criminal lineups a lot. Yeah, well, you could do that too. So you see what I'm saying? Like, I think this is yeah. kind of a changing uh, a changing definition of friend. And I think it's interesting that they built a campaign of on this on this term. But, you know, I have to say that... You know, and I, I don't like the fact I, I'm telling you, th this says young girl and I'm telling you, she looks like she's 16. I don't like the fact that they have a 16 year old going around the country. I think that's creepy. But um, I have to say from my own personal Twitter usage and the people that I've sort of met online, I've been trying to meet some of them in person. And it has been so awesome for me just to kind of meet these people in person um you know the people that i'm really liking on twitter i i'm actually liking in person and i don't think that's a bad thing i mean and granted i'm in a very sort of small little niche in what i when i'm talking about on twitter but um you know so maybe these people are kindred spirits to begin with just based on the content but um but yeah i mean i had a conversation yesterday with somebody that um is in Vancouver and uh, we follow each other on Twitter and he goes, you know, the cool thing about Twitter is that really the people I like online are the people that I like in person too. And I think that's pretty cool. Now, Megan, a word of caution here. You be careful. <laughs> you, I'm not be a careful with these people you're meeting. All these Twitter people. <laughs> I'm just saying. Thank you, daddy. Oh, be, be care about you, Megan. That's awesome. Uh, so, uh, okay, so the the moral of this is don't buy a kin and be careful who you meet on Twitter. That last but five minutes. But do it minutes. anyways. Yeah, all right, all right. All well, right. I think we should, uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and up the smarts. Let's right, bring on our, please. Uh, bring on our guest of the week. Uh, you know, we didn't even, I didn't even mention that we have an awesome guest in the beginning of the show. I was so busy talking about uh, Mr. Rogers. We have a fantastic guest. Uh, Maria Ogneva is, is joining us. She is uh, a... <laughs> Last name one more time, please. Ogneva? Ogneva? Okay. I thought you may have just mumbled through it. Go ahead. No, no, no. I mumbled through it because it makes me sound more Russian. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's, she's, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Russian. She uh no she I thought uh, you were trying to avoid having to say it out loud in no. a clear enunciation so No I was I'm just sorry. speaking quick speaking like a uh, like a native who doesn't speak Russian I would, I, I would know I found uh, I found her on uh, she had written an article on Mashable uh, it turns out she is the director of social media at Attensity formerly Blog 3 or uh, Biz 360 and uh, she's going to join us uh, in in just seconds to talk about uh, social CRM our very special guest on the show. We're so excited to have uh, have her on the show, Maria Ogneva. Maria, uh, am I saying your name right? First of all, 
Did I say, um, did I sound like a Russian? It's close enough. You did not sound like a Russian. <sighs> <laughs> but it was better than probably 95% of the people that attempted. 95%? Um, See, you guys don't think I can oh, do accents. You are in the 95th percentile. <laughs> so you should give yourself a pat on the back for sure. I should. I will make sure to tweet it later. Make sure to tweet <laughs> Uh, Maria, you, uh, let's see, you do so many things, I don't even know quite how to introduce you. I, I discovered you uh, when, uh, literally tripped over an article that you had written for Mashable uh, that just uh, went live this week uh, called Why Your Company Needs to Embrace Social CRM. And that, uh, boy, that really struck me because I, I think it's a, uh, it's a concept that I think is worth discussing, and I hope that our audience uh, uh, gets something out of this because, it, to me, it, instinctively, it helps us link, uh, you know, the the process of running a business, which equates to communicating and selling products, to this whole new world of social media. So we we want to talk about that, but you uh, you do a whole lot more than than just write for Mashable, right? Can you tell us a little bit about what you uh, what you do day to day? You wake up, you have some sure. coffee. Yeah, and then I do podcasts. Do some podcasting, right? And I teach people how to say my name. You're sort of you're sort of a social media dilettante. That's that's a great way to great way to live your life. So um, actually, I don't write for Mashable. Um, It's it's just something I do, you know, probably like once a month Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, I think it's important to bring um, these notions of you know social CRM and these kind of insider topics, right, mm-hmm. um, to, that, that are insider to, you know, analysts and companies like mine, which I'll talk about in a second, um, to, to, you know, just the general social media population. Um, because what's going on right now is social media is growing up, right? It's getting adopted by businesses. Um, I, I don't think, you know, anyone really needs to be sold um, on the value of social media as much as they were in the past, right? Businesses understand that it's a huge force to be reckoned with. You know, the way that we talk to each other um, has changed completely. Um, the way we consume and share information is completely different. Uh, and this social customer has emerged. Um, and actually, I have a white paper that's coming out shortly on exactly that. Um, so I, to answer your question, I enjoy kind of writing articles that kind of bring these complicated, somewhat complicated subjects to um, to folks and, you know, to help them understand, you know, what the heck this is. Is social CRM just another buzzword? Is this something I need to be concerned about and why? Um, so it's part of my job, um, or the part of my job that I've created for myself. Uh, what I do is I am a social media director, uh, for a company called Attensity. So a little bit of background. I was working for Biz360, uh, which was a monitoring and measurement company. Um, so think of like Radiant 6, Scout Labs, Sysimos, Biz360, right? That's the legion of social media monitoring companies that enterprises and small companies alike use to help them make sense of all of this social media information, right? Because if you're a big brand like Pepsi and people are tweeting about you and Facebooking and blogging and discussing on discussion boards, right? That's just this huge amount of information. You need to figure out like what the heck to do with it, right? So monitoring companies have come into fashion 
um, I guess, over the past couple of years. And I think the next step is like, okay, so monitoring is becoming more of a commodity. Uh, what do you actually do with the data, right? So you have 10,000, <clears throat> excuse me, 10,000 mentions of your brand. That's great. But how do you actually take action, right? How do you engage? So this is an interesting inflection point where uh, monitoring companies are now starting to merge with other companies. Uh, when Which it, is when what it, happened, right? You, uh, exactly. Attensity bought Biz360. Exactly. So we got bought by Attensity, which was, you know, has been in business for a while, has been doing deep semantic analysis on um, unstructured data, but that data typically tended to be within the enterprise. So, you know, emails, anything that's free text. SharePoint uh, kind of. Exactly, you know. exactly, exactly. So what they're really good at, or I should say we, um, are really good at is extracting data from a message, say it's an email or whatever it is, um, and saying, you know, this is a question or this is a request or this is feedback and it should go to this department or this person within this department and then this kind of question should go to this person and so on and so forth. So it creates like this decision-based kind of rules engine um, that allows you to <laughs> uh, get the whole enterprise working together to kind of help these customers. So that's kind of a natural um, marriage, right, between a monitoring company and a deep semantic analytics routing capabilities types of, type of company. Um, so together on our integration, what we're building is exactly that, right, the ability to go out and cover the huge breadth um, of social media messages because Biz360 covers YouTube, right, which mm -hmm. is the second biggest search engine um, in the world, covers all the blogs, Twitter, Google Buzz, that's the micro format, micro blogs, mm -hmm. uh, discussion boards, forums, which includes LinkedIn, Facebook, MySpace, um, and, you know, like it, it's a lot, a lot of information. So, so, so help me kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. So what, what, what you guys are doing is you're going in, you're, you're distilling a whole bunch of, of, of data out of the conversations that are going on on all of these social networks, and then... So your customers will, uh, you know, buy a subscription and be able to get a dashboard that tells them what's going on. Is that how that works? Exactly. Exactly. So if I'm the customer um, and I say I want to look at this particular keyword and I want to track it every day, I want to look at myself, I want to look at my competitors, not only are we going to give you the reporting capability and the list of the most important kind of happenings uh, within that keyword, but we're also going to give you the tools to engage, right? So automatically routing messages, whether it's to you, whether it's to, you know, your product team, if it's feedback, right? But you as a social media person are kind of the hub of okay. all the okay. activity. Well, and then you also have the, the a customer profile as well that's also collecting all that information from different sources, correct? So that you can, anybody within the company can then click on our user profile and see what the conversation has been. Is that accurate? Absolutely. That's a huge part um, of what social CRM, a good social CRM uh, platform is, is supposed to do. Um, the ability to take my data as a social customer and relate that data back to whatever internal CRM data the company had on me, right? So if I'm flying an airline and I have um, a reservation a flight that I'm taking today, and then I tweeted them. Um, the, the system should like cross-reference and be like, okay, so Maria, 
here she is, and here's her reservation, and here's her phone number, and here's her email. So all of that data kind of goes to the same place. So regardless of who within the organization looks at me and interacts with me through whatever channel they're interacting with me are always on the same page. All right. Now, so, you you actually, let, I, I want to talk about this as a case example, because you wrote a blog post that, frankly, yeah. had me in <laughs> stitches. Uh, about your experience one. with Delta. Can yeah. you just walk through what, what happened there? Because it's almost, it's too good not to talk about. Okay. Um, so I was actually stuck in the uh, volcanic ash cloud um, in Europe, um, and I couldn't get out. And, um, you know, I tried to, and, and I understand, you know, it was kind of major mayhem, chaos all over. Um, and, um, I tried to get out on my original airline, which was, which was Delta and I couldn't, and they were just not giving me the proper information, um, that I needed. And there was, you know, the first person that I called would say, oh, you know, we can put you on a flight next week or we can put you on a flight on Saturday. And like each day that changed and I'm like, okay, what's going what, what exactly is going on? Um, and I knew other flights were leaving, so I was like, well, can't you put me on your partner airline? Like, what's going on? So I wasn't getting anywhere, like, in person or on the phone, so I through, figured... Through their channels. Through their, through their they channels. They tell you, you need to call these people, and you did that. And yeah, exactly. Nowhere. So I wasn't right. getting anywhere. So the way that I see Twitter is that um, it's not just a way for you as a company to say, okay, so, Mr. Smith, um, this is... You need to call the 800 number. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you. if, if you're working um, through the Twitter channel with your customer, uh, you need to kind of work behind the scenes, right, with whatever department you need to, uh, to kind of help this person. Because probably they have talked to other channels, or they may be talking to several channels at once, right? Or maybe they just have a strong preference um, for, for Twitter, or maybe they're not in a place where they can call and all they can do is send an SMS message to Twitter, right? So we're going back and forth and, um, they, you know, they kept sending me to the website or the 800 number, you know, it's not really their fault. You know, everyone's kind of new to Twitter, but best practices would actually dictate that you, take this customer information and automatically, you know, it should be relating to what's in your database on me, Maria, right? And then help me activate the resources within your own organization to help me instead of sending me back to the place I came from. Because basically yeah. that was just going around in circles and I ended up in the same place I was. Well, and it was what was so funny about it is, and, and again, I mean, you're right to be a little bit delicate with, with Delta because it seems like, you know, every everybody is new to figuring this out and not everybody can be Zappos and, and we, we get that. But it was, I mean, the, the funny part is it was almost as if they have a template for tweets. It says, yeah, <laughs> thank yeah. you for writing us on Twitter. We love you too. Please call our 800 number. I mean, it just over thanks and over and over again. <laughs> How many times yeah. can you say, read thanks for your tweet before it means nothing? Uh, right. And and uh, and that's sort of what I what I was getting at. But what you what I think the point illustrates is is something much deeper and much more important. If you are going to uh, if you're going to embrace some sort of a social CRM strategy, right? Which is uh, this the fact that there's a lot more going on in the back end of these organizations, particularly huge organizations like Delta, uh, that you really need to consider to get 
you know, your customer service, your social service, and your actual, f the, the function of the organization, like, for example, reservations, talking to one another. And Delta seems like may not have made that leap yet in actually getting all of these areas talking to one another. And, and, um, and, and that's an important thing, I think, to recognize. And, and to bring it back down to an earlier point, I, I think, uh, I, you know, at least when I'm talking to, to my clients, I mean, there's this real disconnect between why we need social media to actually engage with our customers and why we may, you know, may assume that social media is just for, you know, customer or, or just for company ego posting. Uh, those right. are two very different things. Can you talk Absolutely. a little bit about what, what, how do you guide, uh, you know, when you're talking to, uh, to organizations trying to kickstart a CRM strategy, social CRM strategy, how do you get them to talk integration? Um, that's, that, that is probably the most important point. And if you were to take one takeaway from today's conversation, this should be it. Um, social CRM, it, it's not a tool. Um, that's kind of how, you know, traditional CRM got a bad name because people were not recognizing the importance of processes and kind of looking within your organization to understand, you know, how are you going to handle this process with the resources that you have. And instead, it was just like, okay, let's try this tool. Okay, it didn't work. Okay, let's try this other tool. And you're just going to spend tons of man hours and tons of money uh, pursuing tools, and you're still not, not going to be anywhere. Until you get your culture to the right place, and until you get the right processes and the right human resources to kind of execute on those processes, you shouldn't even think about tools. Right, so you need to sit down, you need to first of all make sure that you're in the social media thing for the right reasons, right? Because as you mentioned, uh, for you to sit there on Twitter and use it as a one-way broadcast of your messages to people and you know, be like in this race to amass as many followers as you can, you're gonna fail because that's not what this medium is for. It's a conversation medium. So you're there to to you know build relationships and if people ask you for help explicitly, of course give it and try to do it as much as you can. Uh, you know, and try to not pay as much attention to how many followers somebody has. You know, the tendency is to, you know, help the loudest people <laughs> with the most followers first, you know, because yeah. everybody's afraid of like the bad PR fallout, like Kevin Smith and Southwest Airlines. Another, for another great example, though. Another great example. Yeah. So there's this fear, right? So people, but what I'm saying is that you should try to help as many people as you can. That aside, that that's, you know, you're probably not going to be able to help 100%, but that's a good goal. Um, and, you know, you, sh you need to, to be there, A, to help, but even more importantly, to collaborate, right? You need to create a relationship with your customer that helps you make better products so that they don't have as many complaints, so that they feel kind of um, as, as part of you, right? Like your brand is their friend. And that's kind of the goal that you should have, you know, not talking at people, but talking with people, co-creating, right? You're chilling with your buddy and you're making this awesome product and you're listening to, feed, to feedback and you're helping. And that's kind of how you should approach it. So first of all, the very first step is that you have to make sure you understand that and that everyone within your organization is aligned as far as what social media is going to do for you and what it's not going to do for you. Right. And only when that cultural kind of breakthrough that comes from education, first and foremost. Right. So only when that breakthrough happens, 
then you can sit down and talk about, okay, so when we have a crisis, what does the flow look like, right? So the information that cascades from, you know, social media, whether you use a platform like Attensity, you know, you, you have this cascading information going to a particular department and to somebody else. Like, what does that process look like? The tool is not going to build that for you. Right. You have to go build it for yourself, right? You have to put together a task force. I mean, this is stuff that I that I do within my own organization, right? So you put together a task force, you so get you're Somebody. talking about lobbying the right people in the organization to actually man these tools, right? Exactly, exactly. Because without that, I mean, if you're just a social media person, I mean, that's great. Uh, but you can't really do all this work by yourself. And you shouldn't because you're not equipped to to help out on every front. You don't right. know everything. There's so much knowledge um, that still resides within silos. So your first job as an organization is to break down these silos because social media doesn't know silos. As a customer, I don't care if your <laughs> customer service or if your reservations or if your product, I want to talk to you, right? So you better come to the table with what I need you to come to the table with. Right. So processes, you know, task, task force, take one person from each department if you're the social media person and work with them. Understand like when this happens, when customer says this, what do we do? Where does it go? Where does it go after that? What is the workflow? And, and only then talk about tools. Okay. That uh, Dane, was Dane, you had something? <laughs> Oh, I did. I first of all, I love the archetypal reference of co-creating. That one's going to stick with me for a while. I like how you reference that. Um, I also, Maria, in, in something I was reading uh, that you had written, you, you you talked just a little while ago about you, you're kind of referencing. Um, well, you're referencing companies' um, reliance on tools, uh, it, but your your context really is kind of um, a, a corporation or an enterprise uh, or organization's. Um, um, what's the word, uh, traditional um, thinking about either tools uh, or, or build, building their own brand. And one of the things you said was um, uh, that you, you see companies needing to change from defining the brand for the customers to understanding how the customers um, perceive the brand and that that is the brand. Can you talk just a minute about that? Um, absolutely. So, I mean, that's that's a huge change that came with social media and the the customer becoming the social customer. Um, the customer doesn't really care what you say your brand is. Like, it's not relevant, right? We fast forward through TV ads. We just don't care when you talk at us. What we do care is what our friends within our social network are saying about that brand. So, to me, my understanding of you know, Starbucks or Apple products. So, you know, take whatever brand you want. It's shaped by what people closest to me are saying, right? So the value has now been transferred onto, you know, people close to me, like their opinions, their views. And only then do I go to like external opinion sites uh, when I'm, you know, contemplating a big purchase. Um, and then I see what people are saying there. But I, I, I don't even care like what, you know, the brand is telling me anymore. So your brand, it, it's no longer what you say. It's, it's what your customers say. And you're not going to be able to control that. So if you want to control, just give up. The best thing that you 
can do is direct the conversation. You're never going to control it. But by being people's quote-unquote friend in social media, instead of talking at them, talking with them, you know, the process of co-creation, that's how you become friends, quote-unquote. By being their friend, um, you can be a better brand in their eyes. And that's really kind of the only way to do that these days. And what's, what's interesting is you kind of talk about, you know, needing to maybe train certain organizations to understand this new dynamic. And when, of course, all along, that's been the case, you know, without social media, it still, I believe, was the case that companies uh, felt they were creating a brand versus listening to the customers. It, it's, it sounds like, I mean, uh, the opportunity really is to say, um, that, that maybe nothing's really changed, but we have the opportunity now uh, to listen and to understand how we're being perceived regardless of what we thought we had control over. Absolutely. So, you know, word of mouth has always been the number one marketing engine. Um, and if you didn't know that, you, I don't know what your problem is. Um, but yeah, I mean, but the, the, the thing about before versus now, digital word of mouth versus in person, is that this one you can measure and you can track it. The other one, you know, people are saying stuff about you. You're not going to know what it is and who they are and what they're saying about you, except for in focus groups. But they're not going to tell you the truth anyway in a focus group, right? So, you know, there, there was that disconnect uh, because the brand, you know, was always like, what do I think of it? as well. What do my friends think of it? Uh, but there was always a huge gap, a huge disconnect because there was no way for, for the brands and customers to kind of meet in the middle, right? But now we have that opportunity to do that. And also one, one other important thing about a brand in social media is something that's overlooked. Your employees are a huge part of your brand, Right, which is why um, proper social media education and best practices are going to be so key. You know, you should encourage your employees to use social media, whether they do it under your brand moniker or whether they identify, you know, in their Twitter name that I am Maria from Intensity or whatever, or I'm just Maria. Mm-hmm. Um, and can I just? You're always going to be you know, representative of, of that brand, right. online and offline. You go to the bar and you talk to somebody, you're still the representative of the brand. So you want to make sure that people understand that and you want to empower people and make sure that you know, that they know that you trust them to make the right decisions. So. And, and let me, I know Peter's got a thought here. I just wanted to mention that with regard to what you're saying right there, I just loved how, uh, how you dropped in there, you know, uh, more or less and, and, and also, so as you're doing that, and, and that point is, is very true, you know, and, and involve the employees, uh, and you kind of said, and, you know, and watch out for the sales guys and their Twitter spam, which I thought, you didn't quite say it that way, but, you know, I, I just have a lot of uh, experience working with the, the sales folks and organizations, and it's kind of, you know, when you're talking about creating a new culture, bringing all the employees into it, uh, and especially give a little attention to the salespeople. Well, and yes. that's the next question, right? I mean, I, it's one that that's, was very important to me from the start because, it, you know, the, the real brass tacks of social CRM is can you illustrate to company leaders how there is a direct connection between all the things we're talking about, improved process, improved engagement, uh, to driving sales? How do you get these two things to meet in the middle and and cause a transaction. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, on how you coach 
companies to to make this change. Otherwise, it's just, you know, I, I mean, I can yell on Twitter all day long. Right. Um, so interesting point and very, very complex. Um, how much time do we have? <laughs> so so um, 30, 37 seconds. I actually don't coach companies myself, right? Sure. But I, 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 I work as a social media director. So, I mean, it, it is my job to bring awareness to the market and to speak about this stuff openly uh, from what I know, from what I do myself at my company. So I drink my own Kool-Aid, mm-hmm. right? So, but I don't per se like sit there with companies and say, okay, you need to do this. Anyway, just getting that out of the way. Uh, how I think... Um, to align the long term and the short term um, is what I think you're asking, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong. That's that's a very very tough thing. Uh, you know, I I have to go through the same thing within my company, right? Because certain org- certain parts of the organization um, want uh, more immediate results, right? And it's it's that tension between marketing and sales that's not just in social organizations, but in every organization I've ever worked with, because I've worked on both sides, mm-hmm. right? I've worked in sales and I've worked in marketing. So I've seen it from both sides. It's this tug of war. Hey, marketing, you know, what is all this, you know, long-term brand vision crap that you're building uh i need sales i need quota like i have quota at the end of the month like what are you going to do for me right and and then marketing is like whoa sales guys slow down you know don't go out there you know bullying customers into signing contracts that's bad for the brand right and that's kind of the conversation that happens in every organization sure so i think when you're talking to um, you know, people who are in charge of departments, um, alignment again is, is key, right? You have to align their priorities um, so that they understand like what's in it for them. So I would sit down with my own sales force and I t- and, and you know I educate um, about social media and I say, you know, these are some best practices. It's probably not best for you to go out and say, hey, do you want to buy my product? The minute that somebody says a keyword that you're tracking, probably not a good idea. But do you want to start chatting with that person and see if you can become useful? Absolutely. So it's it's kind of refocusing of the mentality from, you know, instead of going for the kill, you have to build a relationship and you, you have to set expectations correctly, right? You have to... Under, understand and make sure that people understand within your organization that this stuff is going to take time. You, it's, it's like a cocktail party, right? You can't walk into a cocktail party and expect to sell your stuff right away. And you're not going to do that. You're not going to walk in and be like, buy my product, buy my product. It's the same kind of mentality. And I think when, it, when I talk to my sales organization in those terms, people get it, right? And also like the opportunity for client research. You, if you know how to mine the social media um, wealth of information, you can actually learn so much more about your clients than they ever could tell you, mm-hmm. right? Like if you know what to look for and if you can kind of read between the lines, that just makes you a stronger salesperson. Well, and you know, that's often, I think, one of the first recommendations, right, is don't, don't start yelling on Twitter yet. First, try and figure out if you can see see if it's a good research tool for you. Absolutely. If there are people talking about your brand on, on in the social networks, maybe that means it's part of a discussion that you should be involved in. 
Absolutely. So uh, taking it to the level of, you know, the C-suite, they want to see numbers. You're absolutely right. So what you have to do is be very diligent about measurement, right? So uh, you, you have to develop these programs. You know, for example, I got, you know, five members of the sales team on Twitter and kind of at the end of three months, these were the results, you know, these are kind of the new clients that we're now engaged with and, you know, we've done this, this many demos and this many sales. And you have to put systems in place to help you track your social media activities. Um, and, you know, because not everything is going to uh, result in a sale or not everything is going to result in a sale within the next three years, right? Mm -hmm. It's about a relationship. So th that's the very tricky thing about social media is that your social media activity, whether it's sending tweets, commenting on blogs and being involved in the ecosystem in some yeah. way, does not always map or almost never maps uh, to a revenue event very neatly because there are like five different things that are, that are going to happen right between then and now. Mm -hmm. So you have to have, this is one of the problems that social CRM is solving. It's, you know, helping you track all that data across all these different, um, you know, social and non-social um, channels, right? So you can actually track this one person throughout their history with you right. and see if they purchased. And then, you know, you just kind of do your numbers and see like, this kind of customer converts and, you know, pain, painful picture. So, yeah, one of the things we talked about uh, earlier in the uh, in this show, I'd love to get your just brief opinion as we wrap up our, our time together is uh, uh, in this perspective, what's been going on with Facebook and the privacy, uh, you know, the the internal privacy uh, battle that's going on in Facebook. Now, I, I know, you know, whether whatever your position is on on privacy, uh, and Facebook and living out loud and all of that, uh, you know, that's a that can be a religious argument. Has Facebook done? Uh, has Facebook damaged their own brand in how they have actually handled this this uh, this issue? Um, I think so. Um, but it's I, I kind of feel bad for them in a way um, because you know, uh, as you said, privacy. You know, what the heck is privacy, right? <laughs> This could be a religious argument. Uh, privacy doesn't exist, right? And every piece of content that you put out there, um, should you should treat it as the front page of New York Times because guess what? Like, it doesn't go away, right? It's always going to... When someone Googles you, they can find stuff about you. So you have to be proactive, first of all, um, in, because people are going to create content about you. Just right. like a brand, just like a business, just like Pepsi, people are going to create content about me, the Maria, on the web all the time. So it's up to me to actually proactively create content that sure, I like that's sure. reflective of my brand. So that being said, a lot of people don't understand privacy, right? So like we in the marketing, social media sphere, we understand that and we conduct ourselves accordingly. A lot of people don't understand it. Right. And then now all of a sudden they saw that Facebook is doing something to their privacy and they don't completely understand what's happening. And so they, you know, that's bad for the brand. And I almost feel like, OK, Facebook, they, I think, messed up in a way like um, they should have made things more explicit and they should have spent a little more time educating people about, you know, what they're doing and how they're changing things. Like I'm 
in the social media industry. And sometimes I didn't even know what's going on with my account. Like I had to go in and, and check everything. But not everybody has the wherewithal to go in and check. So that make, makes people angry. Right. Um, so I, I think we're taking it out on Facebook um, because that's kind of... Yeah, they are, they are the vessel for, for disruption right now. I mean, uh, Absolutely. you know, it, it doesn't... Um, uh, well, yeah, I don't, we, we've sort of become the Facebook show, so I, I don't want to delve too deeply in it. And we have, have wrapped up a, a, a wonderful discussion on, on tools and techniques and, and so appreciate your, uh, uh, your time joining us and talking about what you do and, you know, the importance of measurement. I, I think we, you know, we, we get so lost, uh, you know, as marketers in new shiny stuff in the social media world where, you know, historically, we're we're really quite adept at measuring, and uh, and and because there is such an unknown in in how you measure engagement and how you measure impact uh, using social media tools, I think it's just so great to see such robust tools coming out that actually help us do that. So absolutely, uh, absolutely. One 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 thing about measurement is instead of just measuring, you have again you have to have internal alignment. You have to sit down and understand what your organizational goals are, and from there, what are you, uh, what are your departmental goals, and from there, what are your social media goals? Because they're going to be driven by what the overall goal is. So, for me, for example, my goal is to increase awareness. So, guess what? What do I do? I write articles for external entities. You know, I make sure I produce a lot of content. I speak, and you know, try to be kind of on the forefront of discussions and it works right sure. and now people know who intensity is and mystery 60 right. is and stuff like that so but but if your goal is to you know reduce your customer care costs while increasing engagement you know you want to take some money out of the call center and put it into twitter engagement or something like that mm -hmm. then you're going to have very different goals right your goals are to answer as many tweets and messages as you can so you really have to look within yourself because the tendency, again, is to over rely on the tool and to over measure. But sometimes you're measuring stuff that you don't need to. Right. That's a really that's a very good point. That's a that is certainly a good punctuation on the on the discussion. Where would you if uh, if folks want to learn more uh, about you and follow your uh, your social media sphere? Where would you like us to point folks? Um, uh, probably the place where I'm the most active and the most reachable um, is on Twitter. You can find me as the Maria. That's T H E Maria. And you know, I'm also on Facebook, LinkedIn. I hang out on industry blogs and comment. I write my own blogs and stuff well, like and, that. Well, and and your uh, your blog is is terrific, and we will certainly uh, certainly point people there too. It's uh, uh, great to uh, great to have you join us and share a little bit about what you do. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you come back uh, and, and join us again in the future. I would I would love to. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Maria. Thanks, Maria. Thank you. You know that Maria, she is uh, she's charming. That's one of those things. Can I say something about being charming? And she's Please. a woman, which makes her awesome. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Maria, for being the first woman guest on the show. You know, we yeah, didn't yeah, celebrate that. I, that. I, we, I thought about have. it. Yeah. Like, but that hey. makes us seem petty. Well, and also I didn't know if we wanted to draw attention to the fact that <laughs> after this I many know. shows. Um, unlike our first female. Embarrassingly. Boys. Uh, yeah, that's right. We don't it's want to draw like attention to it. Though. Let's it's talk not. more about it. <laughs>
<laughs> no, but right. let me talk about charming because I think we forget about this, and and it, I think it's so important. And and I just want to talk a little bit about my experience. I found Maria on Twitter as well and messaged her um, on Twitter to invite her to the show. She responded very quickly and very kindly in complete sentences, uh, <gasps> and you know responded through through direct messages and then on Skype. And I found her. You know, she uh, is has such is is really adept at building a relationship with someone uh, with through the keyboard. And I think that's really important because most people can't, unless you know them previously. If you're meeting somebody for the first time on Skype or on Twitter, sometimes it's hard to really get through that barrier that says, you know, I want to be approachable. I want to to have a conversation with you, but I don't know how to do it in a way that that makes that that makes me come off as as charming and and kind and welcoming and engaging yeah. and engaging in this medium. And I think, uh, you know, I just uh, I think there are people who really can can do that and celebrate it. Maria is one of those. She's just very engaging to type with. And uh, and I think it's something we can all think about when you're engaging in people on with people online. Uh, just, you know, let some of that charm shine through and, and build those closer relationships with people. It's a, it is a real skill. Uh, well said. So uh, anyway, I th- uh, that was great. And I think it, it really highlights some of what um, uh, the interview, the conversation with Maria really highlights some of what, um, you know, what we've been talking about. And it's just great to see these tools uh, you know, hitting growing the market, up. growing up, exactly. Now, you know, one of the things we didn't talk about was, you know, the, uh, you know, because Tensity uh, Blog Three Hundred and Sixty, they're kind of, you know, for small businesses, they're they're a little expensive. If you're trying to keep your overhead yeah. low, it's kind of expensive to get into this. They're designed for enterprise, and it's it shows there's this big break, this big split between, you know, enterprise tools and and uh, tools available to, you know, to the rest. And you know, as being a rooter for the underdog, it makes me a little bit sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you still you know, have things like Google Analytics and, and I know and you can okay still do it. And, and I, you know, my question for her that, you know, maybe we can get a follow up on it in the future is at where's the tipping point where you, you know, once you've mapped the process and the flow that she was talking about, yeah. like, when do you really need a tool or you're going to be in trouble? Um, you know, right. that was one of my questions. So for another show, for another show, indeed. Well, we should we talk about tools? Yes. Let's do that. Talk about your tool. Well, Peter. I loved. <laughs> I I got the email from Google uh, that it was small business something or other month. Month is it a whole I month think, of small I'd business? Say, it's either a week or a month. It's it's more than a day. We're excited it's about small business like hour. There's I, also did, I didn't know that it was. Doing, yeah, there's all sorts of weird people doing stuff around it. But see, we should probably know we more. We should probably about know that. this. Yeah. Well, we don't. Let's go ahead and hang a flag <laughs> on it. Uh, but what we do know is it, Google Search Stories is a really uh, it's an interesting uh, little gimmick that got me thinking about the tools that exist already in our bag of tricks and how we are using them. Uh, the 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 gimmick is they send this email and they say we have this social this search story creator where you can go in and you fill out these you know seven fields and those fields are you know search fields so you can type in you know I type in Pete Wright in one of them and I say you know do a web search for Pete Wright and then do an image search for Pete Wright and then do a search for fifthandmain.com and the naked marketers and, you know, do run all these searches. And then the, the tool itself puts it together in a 30 second commercial that highlights your search results. And it seems like such a, well, it seems like a really silly thing. When I say all this out loud, it seems really silly. Why would anybody do this? 
but I did it, and I posted it on my website. It's my little search story, so you can see all of my search results when you search for me. Uh, you, you know, you get this, and it has funny music. I was just going to say, the music is very, uh, makes you want to stand up and march. It's, it sort of does, doesn't it? And, you know, I could have <laughs> done scary. Or wave a flag or something. I could have done scary music that would have stand made you want to hide in a closet. I could have done, I could have done, you know, action music that would make you want to drive that your car off a ramp. Music? What did you I select? I could have done uh, comedy. I did comedy music. You I, I would have thought it would have been like a patriot or die or something. I tried. I tried, but they, they just, it was too much. It oh, was too, so too much to go with Google search results. This, <laughs> I, I think you can only really have comedic music with Google search results. Anyway, that's not really the point of this exercise. The point is they, they got me thinking about uh, use of other Google tools. They did a handy little bit of lobbying in this email. After you get through the gimmicky part, uh, it, you go to google.com slash economic impact and, uh, and oh, you great. can see a Google map with their little bubbles, data bubbles, on all the different states in uh, throughout the U.S. And when you click on one of them, you get the little Google pop-up that has rich data in it. Like, for example, in Montana, a little bubble chat bubble pops up, and it says, Google generated $48 million of economic activity for 4,000 Montana businesses, website publishers, and nonprofits in 2009. And then you click on View and Download, and it opens uh, a... Um, a Google Doc, a public Google Doc case study uh, discussing in more detail the uh, the revenue that Google helped generate in Montana, and the and a little case about a um, uh, uh, about a customer that Google has helped. You know, some an advertiser. Uh, you get a little case study on an advertiser and a photo. Now, whatever you think of Google's lobbying approach, I happen to think it's pretty slick. Their use of their own tools. Uh, that are free and available to everyone is, uh, I think, astounding. And it's really, it's something you forget about day to day, that you have this ability to create a rich data map for free of your customer data and the impact you are having with your customers in real time. Well, the, you know, real time, as long as you're updating it, it's not, uh, you know, I, what you can do for free uh, is really powerful. And I think engaging your customers and embedding a map on your website, a Google map that has you know, rich data uh, on it so you can you can really see, you know, yeah, we're doing good things, but here's who we're doing it with and, and exactly where you can see the impact that our, our work is doing, I think is really powerful. Have you guys played with Google Maps to do this yet, rich data stuff? Oh, I'm pretty excited, you though. Did, you had done. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, we I did a I did one for a client um, last year that was that was a lot of fun. I mean, they they do um, it's a, a company that places uh, speech paths and uh, in schools that you know have run out of funding and can't find hires, and so they they do contract uh, speech pathologists and and uh, so we put together one of these rich maps to show all the placements, and we you know you click on a, a little bubble and it pops up and you see you know you see not only details on the placement on the location or the district or the school with a photo of the school and contact information for the school you also see you know the headshot of the specific contractor what days of the week they're going to be there uh that sort of thing now that map was a private map um you know we didn't use this as a as a um, as a promotional tool it was an internal tool but it just got me thinking about how the you know all the wonderful things you can do with google maps and and it's it, it's worth exploring more because it's just way too easy uh not to not to take advantage of it. That's my tool. Like it. Love That's it. That's a great one. 
I, a great well, one. I just wanted to say um, that I, I do think my tools feeling a little neglected and, and might need to be brought out in, in the open and shared a little bit. Um, share it, share it. Uh, open, open Facebook search dot com. <laughs> we we had talked about maybe doing this next week, and I think we should. So, we'll, I just could brief mention. I just thought oh, I'm gonna check this out because you know this would be a good one next week. Uh, and one of the popular searches on Open Facebook Search, which by the way is just a way to search, you know, um, people's updates on Facebook <laughs> that I guess they've made public. Um, drunk last uh, night. Drunk last night is fabulous. Yeah, it um, is. Rachel Philpot says, ah, oh, my drunk twin went out last night and made me look bad. I hate when she does that. <laughs> uh, That's and, awesome. And, and Casey Kling got so drunk last night that she woke up naked in bed with Junior, and now her um, her ass is killing her, oh, it says. really? So that's public oh. for, for the world. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, there's there's many, um, but I'll, I'll just stop right there. are many right that, there. Are far, that are far, far worse than that one. OpenFacebookSearch.com. I can't believe we're promoting this, but... <laughs> uh, yeah. And you can Probably. even embed these search results in your own website. So, I was thinking about doing that one. That's this. hilarious. Drunk last night. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Nice. Oh, wow. why don't I do? Hold on. Drunk last night, Salt Lake. Let's just see who I know. No, no, nothing. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> How about right, let's so, do this? Let's do drunk Salt Lake. Let's see who's drunk in Salt Lake. Oh, lots of people. Well, wow. Drunk I thought last we weren't going to actually do this on the show. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. This has become a meta Stop. discussion. Yeah. Okay. okay I'm sipping my lip. Uh, so that's that's what we have for tools. Anything else that uh, anything else we need to talk about, people? I don't think so. All right, let's uh, uh, let's close it out then, shall we? It's been a good discussion. I'm so glad we had Maria on. Uh, you, let's see, Dane Christensen. Uh, where do people find you? Uh, Alta Dane on Twitter and Strike10Media.com. Megan Strand at Megan Strand on Twitter, and I do tweet unlike Dane and Encouraged.com. I n c o u r a g e d Awesome. And I am at uh, Pete Wright on Twitter and at fifthandmain.com. You can find out everything you want to do about the show at thenakedmarketers.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Naked Markets. And we encourage you to do so. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, write things to us. Nice things. Uh, we like those. Uh, also, find us in the iTunes store. Just do a search for The Naked Marketers. You will find us. Subscribe to us. It's the easiest way to get the show every single solitary week uh, that it comes out. On behalf of Dane and Megan, I'm Pete. This has been another uh, exciting, uh, action-packed edition of The Naked Marketers. Mm-hmm.